Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this morning is taken from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, which is the fourth of the ten words, the command concerning the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, you are the creator of all things, who having created entered into your rest. We thank you that by your grace, by your Son, and by your Spirit, you have brought us to share in your rest, in your glorious enthronement over the creation. We pray as we consider this passage this morning that you would teach us what it means, give us a deeper sense of what it means to be a people of Sabbath who live in your rest. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let me stipulate something at the outset. Jesus never, ever broke the Sabbath. He couldn't have. Jesus obeyed God. Jesus was sinless. Keeping the Sabbath was a command of God. If Jesus had broken the Sabbath, then Jesus would have sinned, and he could not be our sinless substitute, our sinless Redeemer. Jesus could not have broken the Sabbath. Of course, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath constantly because he kept doing things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law prohibited. He harvested on the Sabbath. They accused, that's what their accusation was. Because he walked by a grain field and he and his disciples rubbed on the ears of grain and ate some of the grain. That was an act of harvest and he broke the Sabbath because he was harvesting on the Sabbath day. Repeatedly, he heals people on the Sabbath. We just heard about it in our gospel lesson. One of those incidences, Jesus heals a man with a withered arm. Jesus raises a woman who is bent double. He heals a man with dropsy. He heals a man who's been lame for 38 years. He heals a man who's been blind of, at, from birth. And each time he does this, he does this on the Sabbath day. This can't be an accident. It can't be just happenstance that Jesus happens to be doing these things on the Sabbath day. Jesus is deliberately doing things on the Sabbath. And he knows that the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law are going to object. Jesus wants to start a fight about the Sabbath day. He does provocative things on the Sabbath day deliberately. Perhaps some of these were set set ups. Maybe the Pharisees brought somebody in who was uh, needed healing and put it put him before Jesus on the Sabbath day to see what Jesus would do to try to trap Jesus in breaking the Sabbath. 
Jesus goes ahead and does it anyway. Jesus is repeatedly accused of breaking the Sabbath. He repeatedly does things that the Pharisees did not permit on the Sabbath. He must know he's doing it, but why would he provoke that kind of battle over the Sabbath? One of the answers that's given is that Jesus is carving out exceptions to the very strict Sabbath rules of the Jews. The Jews had very elaborate rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Getting a certain amount of grain was harvesting. If you got less than that, it wasn't harvesting. That was okay. But if you went over a certain amount, that was breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus was carving out exceptions. He was softening the Sabbath day. Or Jesus was making room for some emergency exceptions, acts of mercy on the Sabbath. People need healing. They're suffering. And so if somebody is suffering on the Sabbath, you can break the Sabbath, break the technical strict rule of the Sabbath, and you can do something on the Sabbath that is, strictly speaking, prohibited. So Jesus is carving out certain exceptions of necessity, certain exceptions of mercy, certain exceptions for emergencies, like the ox in the ditch or the uh, cow that needs to go out and get water, from the, go out from the stall and get water. I don't think that's the whole story. In fact, I don't think that's any part of the story. Think about the incidents where Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. We just heard one again in our gospel lesson. The Pharisees bring up the objection, this is not the day to heal. You can heal tomorrow. The woman has been bent double for 18 years. A man's been lame for 38 years. Why not wait till tomorrow, Jesus? There is no emergency. There's no necessity. Jesus harvests on the Sabbath. There's no necessity. He and his disciples are not starving. They could have fasted the rest of the day. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He can fast one more, a few more hours till they get to a place where they can have a proper Pharisee-approved meal on the Sabbath day. Jesus is not making exceptions for acts of mercy or necessity on the Sabbath. Or, and just think about what that would mean. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is the long-awaited Davidic king. Now he's come into the world to save the world and teach righteousness, and what he comes to do with regard to the Sabbath is make a few technical exceptions to the strict Sabbath rules. Does that sound like something that requires an incarnation, that requires a death on the cross? Uh, There's a much bigger conflict going on here over the Sabbath. If Jesus is just carving out a few minor exceptions to the Sabbath, he's a Messiah that only a Pharisee could love. He's he's working within the Pharisaical mindset. He's saying, well, no, you're wrong about these particular details of the Sabbath command. What we actually need to do is obey these particular details. We have to carve out a few exceptions for necessity, emergencies, for mercy. Well, that's not what Jesus is up to at all. Jesus wants to provoke a conflict over the Sabbath. Jesus deliberately does things on the Sabbath the Pharisees don't approve. But he's not doing it just to make a few exceptions, to soften up a very strict Sabbath legislation. But to see what he's up to, we have to learn more about what's required on the Sabbath day. The commandment says, commemorate the Sabbath day. It's a memorial And they commemorate the Sabbath day by ceasing. That's what the word Shabbat, Sabbath, means. 
They go about their daily work for six days, but then that's broken, that's interrupted on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God requires them to interrupt their work and devote their attention to him. We can get a sense of how, why, how important this is to uh, Moses and to the law by seeing how many times it's repeated in the law. Just look up, in a concordance, look up Sabbath and see how many times this commandment is repeated. We think we might want to repeat a command against adultery over and over again. Command about the Sabbath, is that so important that it needs to be said again and again? But it is. God reiterates it, or Moses reiterates it in Deuteronomy 5 when he repeats the ten words. It appears at the end of the instructions about the tabernacle. Somehow the construction of the tabernacle culminates with Sabbath. After the golden calf, Moses uh, uh, the Lord, Lord repeats his commandments to Moses, and the first commandment in that set of commandments is the Sabbath command. Sabbath-like rules appear in other instructions about other feasts. The Day of Atonement is a Sabbath-like day of rest, and certain days with other, within the other uh, within the other feasts are Sabbath-like days. Sabbath keeping is a sign of the covenant. We're told. In fact, Sabbath keeping is virtually equivalent to the covenant. It's repeated again and again, but why is this particular commandment so important to Israel? Why is it repeated? Why does the Lord repeat it so many times? Partly because it's unique. Israel is the only nation in the ancient world that had anything like the institution of the Sabbath. When everyone, everyone, slaves and free animals, children, everyone got a day of rest that is unprecedented, it's unparalleled anywhere else in the ancient world. And so it was one of the things that distinguished Israel from the rest of the nations, distinguished Israel from the Gentiles. But it also carried a load of significance for Israel. It was a an enacted confession of faith. Israel is first required to keep the Sabbath when they're in the wilderness and they're collecting manna. But they only collect manna for six days. The Lord says, the seventh day I'm not going to have manna. You're going to have to collect double on the sixth day. I will provide enough so that you can collect double on the sixth day and have enough through the day of ceasing that follows. Israel was supposed to keep the Sabbath day in the wilderness as an act of faith, trusting the Lord's provision, trusting that the Lord would provide enough over six days to feed them for seven days. Once Israel entered the land, the the manna ceased, but the Sabbath didn't. Because even when bread comes up from the ground instead of falling down from heaven, that bread that comes up from the ground is still God's gift to Israel. And weekly, by by celebrating and observing the weekly Sabbath, they're acknowledging that even that food that they work hard to get, even that food comes from God. They work for six days and the Lord will provide for seven. They work for six years and the Lord provides for the seventh year. They work for 49 years and the Lord provides a super Sabbath day in the Jubilee. It's an act of faith to stop what you're doing and say, I'm not going to do anymore because it just doesn't depend on me. All that I have is a gift from God anyway. And I'm going to take a day off every week, take a year off every cycle of seven years and confess my faith in the God who provides for me. The Sabbath also expresses Israel Israel's unique relationship to God. The, Lord's, the Lord himself, we're told, ceased on the seventh day of the creation. And that's why Israel ceases. The Lord sanctified the day. And that's why the Lord, uh, that's why Israel 
sanctifies the day or consecrates the day by stopping their labor. They're imitating, they're mimicking the Lord. The Lord stops, so they stop. The Lord goes, the Lord has holy day, that's his day, and so Israel has a holy day that is his day. Yahweh is Israel's father, like father, like son. Israel keeping the Sabbath is a way of showing that they are the special people of the creator who created the world in six days and rested. And he graciously invites them to enter into that rest, to anticipate his final rest. The Lord's original rest is a royal rest. He works for six days, constructs a creation, and then he enters into his rest, but that rest is an enthronement. The Lord enters into his cosmic temple and takes his throne within his world as the ruler of the world. And then after the Exodus, the Lord says to Israel, and you can share my rule with me by keeping Sabbath. Sabbath is an elevation. Sabbath means that you don't have to work all the time. Sabbath means that you've entered into your royal rest, your royal enthronement, along with the Lord. Of course, Israel hasn't fully entered into that royal enthronement. They still have to work the next day. But it's a little sign of what the Lord has in store for his people. That someday he is going to raise them up on thrones to rule over the creation with him. Israel is privileged not just to cease from the day and display their trust in the Lord. Israel is privileged to enter into the Lord's rest, to enter into his enthronement. Adam was created to be a king. Adam was created to enter into the Lord's rest and his rule over the creation. And Israel is an Adamic people every time they celebrate the Sabbath day. Every time they commemorate the Sabbath, they are being enthroned with God over the creation. But even that doesn't get to the fullness of what the Sabbath represents for Israel. If you're looking at your Bibles, look at verse 10 of Exodus 20. If God simply wanted individual Israelites to stop working on one day, he could have left out most of verse 10. The seventh day is a ceasing of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to list all the other people within the realm of the person who's being addressed, within the household or within the business of the person who's being addressed, who are given rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath for Israel is not just about taking rest, about the glory of entering into the Lord's rest and the enthronement with God. It's also about acting like a king and granting rest to others. This is also a way of imitating, mimicking the Lord. The Exodus is all about the Lord giving rest to Israel. They're in the house of slavery. They're in a house of bondage. He brought them up out of the house of bondage. He gave them rest from their labors. He's going to give them rest in the land. And so he says, you also give rest to those people who are under you, those people over whom you are have authority. Rule like I do, graciously, generously. Don't rule like Pharaoh, making people work seven days, making people work constantly, making people make bricks without straw. Don't rule like that. Rule like I do, the Lord says. Rule by granting rest and relief. And once we see that that's part of the command, it's not just about taking rest, but about giving rest, 
then we can see that the Sabbath command really does embody the whole covenant life of the people of God. By keeping Sabbath, Israel is displaying what they're all about. They are a Sabbath people. They've been granted Sabbath in the Exodus, and now they're a people who lives out of the Sabbath, who continually keeps Sabbath. Now they're the people whose entire life together as a nation is formed and shaped by the Exodus, conformed to the Exodus. Their work and leisure is patterned by God's gift of rest at the Exodus. How long they can keep slaves and when they release slaves is patterned by the Exodus. How long they can work the land and when they have to let the land rest, that's patterned by the Exodus. Leviticus 23, which is mainly a calendar of Israel's feasts, right at the heart of that chapter, Israel is reminded to care for the poor, the needy, and the stranger within the land. Keeping the Sabbath also means giving rest and relief to those who are needy, those who are helpless, those who have nothing. Sabbath, a Sabbath is not just one day in seven. Sabbath is an entire way of life. That's implied by Isaiah 58, our Old Testament lesson where Isaiah is mainly talking about the fast that the Lord requires. But the Sabbath is a kind of fast from labor. And what the Lord wants is not just a fast where you stop working. He wants a fast that involves clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless. That is the Sabbath way of life because that is a way of giving relief and giving rest to those who are in need. Sabbath offers Israel a vision, a weekly vision, a concrete, enacted, ritualized vision of what their corporate life should look like. A redeemed society where everyone, slave and free, male and female, children and elderly, animals, are not treated as machines of production, but are, uh, are given rest along with the Lord God, the Creator. That's what Sabbath means in the Old Testament. It's not just a technical, tiny set of rules about keeping a certain day. It has to do with the destiny of the human race to rule with God, to enter into his rest. It has to do with the kind of people that Israel is supposed to be, a people that continuously gives rest and relief to others. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus keeps Sabbath. He doesn't break Sabbath. He can't. He doesn't make exceptions to the Sabbath rules. That's That would make him a pharisaical Messiah. He does what the Sabbath law requires. Somebody comes in with who's bent double for 18 years, they need relief. They're not at rest. And so Jesus gives rest. His teaching is not about making certain exceptions. If your ox falls into a ditch, your ox is not having a restful day. So you should grant rest to your ox. Keep the Sabbath by bringing the animal out of the well or out of the ditch. That's not breaking the Sabbath. That's not exception. That's a way of keeping the Sabbath. And Jesus not only keeps the Sabbath in those particular ways, but Jesus keeps the Sabbath in its deepest sense because he comes to elevate us to thrones along with him. He comes to grant rest to his people. Hebrews 4 tells us that Israel was invited to enter into the Lord's rest and they refused. The Lord did not let them enter his rest. 
So there's a Sabbath yet to come. Joshua, the first Joshua, does not bring his people into the rest in the land. The second Joshua does. Jesus comes to bring his people into Sabbath. He's granting rest. He's granting Sabbath. He keeps Sabbath. But the Pharisees have so corrupted the Sabbath law, they've so misunderstood, they're straining at gnats gnats and swallowing camels, they're missing the weightier matters of the law. They've so distorted the Sabbath law that they see Jesus' obedience as sin, and they plot to kill him. They've reduced this vision of what Israel is called to be, a rest-given and a rest-giving people. They've reduced that to a few a collection, not a few, a lot of very technical regulations about what can and cannot be done on the Lord's Day. Yes, Jesus wants a confrontation over the Sabbath, not to carve out a few exceptions, but because Israel has failed to keep Sabbath and therefore failed to enter into the rest that the Lord was giving them. He came in order to grant Sabbath and to set for us a pattern of Sabbath-keeping. We don't keep Sabbath the way Israel did in a lot of particulars. We keep the first day of the week. We gather for worship on the first day rather than on the seventh because this is the day of the Lord's resurrection, his uh, deliverance from death and the beginning of his enthronement. Most of us don't begin our Sabbath day at sundown as ancient Israelites probably did. Our Sabbaths aren't the same in some particulars, but at its heart, The Lord's Day that we celebrate by gathering for worship, as Israel did in the Old Testament, the the Lord's Day that we keep by resting from our work means the same thing and has the same intention as the Old Testament Sabbath, only more so. The Sabbath was the day of Israel's anticipation of their enthronement with God. When we gather together, we are enthroned with Christ in heavenly places, enthroned at the Lord's table, only more so than Israel. Because Jesus has been raised up and exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he reigns uh, over all authority and rule and power. And we are joined with him in heavenly places. The Sabbath depicted Israel as an ideal community, a people gathered together in the presence of God a people without domination, where all were given rest, where all shared in delight in the goodness of creation. That's our Lord's Day, only more so. Because we don't just gather to celebrate a feast, we gather to participate in the marriage feast of the Lamb, to have a foretaste of an eschatological feast that we'll enjoy forever. We come together to delight in the goods of creation, only more so. We come to anticipate, as Israel did, the eschatological order. This, what we're doing today, is the destiny of the whole creation. We are on the right side of history. You showed up at church this morning, you're on the right side of history. Because this is where everything is going. And every time we do that, we're doing what Israel did, anticipating the last day, anticipating the fulfillment of of humanity's destiny. Only more so. Because we actually have entered into the new creation in Christ. We keep the Lord's Day, and the Lord's Day has the same, uh, the same theology as the Sabbath. It's different in some particular, but it has the same aim and point. And it has the same dangers. We can also become Pharisees. We have to make decisions about what to do and what not to do. 
But if we get caught up in those kinds of questions about the Sabbath, we've missed the point of the Sabbath, which is to celebrate our entry into the Lord's rest and his enthronement. If you're tempted to become a Pharisee about your keeping of the Lord's day, then maybe this will help. This reminder will help. The ten words are primarily negative commandments. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do not, do not, do not. Is there anything, anything I can do, we might ask? Yes, there are two things in the Ten Commandments that are positive commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. At the heart of the Ten Words is a positive vision of what Israel is supposed to be. If you eliminate idolatry, if you eliminate murder and adultery and theft and covetousness, what are you going to have left? You're going to have God's vision for Israel. God's vision for Israel gathered together in his presence, enjoying rest, enjoying his gift of rest, celebrating the gift of rest that we share with one another, eating and drinking and rejoicing before him, along with our sons and our daughters, generation after generation. At the heart of the ten words is this positive vision of what Israel is called to be. We keep that front and center, then we're following Jesus the one who keeps Sabbath, the one who models Sabbath for us, and it'll keep us from the danger of becoming Pharisees. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the greater Joshua, who has come to bring us into rest, to bring us to thrones. He shares his throne with us, so that we too are seated in heavenly places. We thank you that we can anticipate that by our gathering together here on the Lord's Day, by our practices on the Lord's Day, that we can share in your rest and look forward to the eternal rest to which you called us. We thank you for this great gift, and we pray that you would teach us what it means to be a Sabbath-keeping people. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.